Today on Telling the Truth, Jill Briscoe concludes her message, Standing Firm When the World Shakes Back, where she shares how God always comes through when you think you've got nothing left. In Stuart Briscoe's insightful six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World, he helps you understand how God's Spirit works to transform you and renew your thoughts no matter what's going on around you. And through your support today, you can help others experience transformation in their lives as well. We'll say thanks for your gift by sending you a copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World. So call today to request your copy. 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, here's Jill Briscoe with the conclusion of her message, Standing Firm When the World Shakes Back. I was on a plane a few years ago, sitting next to a very arrogant man. He was very wealthy. He was very educated. And I was writing a poem for teenagers. I was running the junior high group at the time at Elmbrook. And I was doing a study with them in a house group on heaven and hell. And I had done all the heaven bit, and I was getting on that plane to go back to my church. And that week, I was going to start and talk about hell. And I thought, well, this is difficult. So I was writing a poem for them at that level on hell. Well, in the middle of me scribbling all over a piece of paper, the man stopped talking about himself and said to me, and what do you do? And so I threw something out and he said, and what are you doing now? What are you writing? And I thought, hmm. And I said, I'm writing a poem. And he said, oh, about what? (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it was just as hard for me to say hell as it has been since I've been saved. I didn't want to offend him. I didn't want to say that. So I was thinking of how I could say it nicely. How do you say hell nicely? (laughs) Ever thought? So in the end, I thought, oh no, he's going to ask me for this. (laughs) And so I sort of shut my book and thought, well, I'll turn this around and I'll talk about, hopefully about the Lord and, and how he'll make you happy and how he'll give you peace and, you know, all the good news. And he said, can I read it? (laughs) And so I said yes and gave it him and then hurried to the deep place where nobody goes on the steps of my soul and had a very deep and urgent prayer time while he was reading it. Let me read it to you. I had a little wish wand and I waved it to and fro whenever thoughts turned heavenward or the other place you go. And I thought it's safe to trust it with my whole eternal soul. So I wish the life I lived on earth would get me to my goal. And I wish that all would get to heaven, whatever they believed. The Buddha sat at God's right hand, that new age be received. And I wish that Paul had changed his mind, that Jesus wasn't right, because he spoke of lostness and a dark eternal night, about the way to heaven, one truth, one narrow gate. And I was so broad-minded that I wished away my fate. So I wave my little wish wand in the patient face of him who met me at the gate of heaven and wouldn't let me in. And I emailed heaven's congressman, but he courteously replied that I should have left my wish wand at the feet of him who died. 
For wishes could not wish away a lifetime of rejection, and wishes could not dress my soul in heaven's own perfection, and wishes could not save me now, for hell was so obscene that wishes there die ghastly deaths strangled with a scream. So I took my little wish wand into hell the day I died, and I waved it at the servant as he slithered to my side. It was dark, but I could see him, and all I knew was fear. And no matter how I waved my wand, he wouldn't disappear. Oh, I wished that I had wished to write. I wished I lived again. I wished I had a body that was not wrecked with pain, and I wished I could remember something other than the dirt, and I wished I could forget my sin as every memory hurt. Oh, I wished and wished and wished that I could have another chance to cast upon the crucified one, saving, helpless glance. But the devil took my wish wand and he laughed right in my face. And I went to live eternally in darkness and disgrace. And I never wished to wish again. I had no heart to try. For hell is where hope ended and where all my wishes died. Wish wand, my wish wand. That man sitting next to me had been waving his wish wand. And incredibly, that was the thing that opened him up to the gospel. The very thing I was afraid of presenting. Every time Paul got to presenting the gospel, everything disintegrated into a riot. And that's not going to happen to us every time. But we have to be bold That's what the disciples prayed for when the persecution broke out in Acts of the Apostles right at the beginning. Remember, Lord, we pray for boldness. They got together. They're going to do what they did to Jesus to us. We're scared. Now they're after us. And we pray for boldness. And God gave them boldness. Are we bold? Paul was bold. I need to be bold. I'm such a wimp. And God needs to give me boldness. Well, it happened again. The Lysias man, the captain of the guard, said, well, I can't figure this out. I don't know what's the matter, but he's causing a riot all over the city. So I'll ask the leaders to come and he can talk to them. And in Acts 23, Paul stands in front of the Sanhedrin, the leaders of his people. He's had a horrible night. He's been beaten half to death. He's probably not been fed. Maybe he got some water. Nobody's looked after his wounds. He's dragged up from this position, put in front of his leaders, And he begins to stumblingly give his defense again. He can probably hardly see. And he says, brothers, I I am a Jew, a righteous Jew. And somebody swipes him right across the mat because this robed figure told him to. And Paul turns to the obvious leader, uh, the guy that told him to, and says, you whitewashed wall. How dare you treat me as the law tells you you should not treat a prisoner? And somebody says, you're going to talk to the high priest like that? He said, brothers, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I didn't recognize him. He either didn't recognize him because he hadn't been in Jerusalem for 20 years, etc., etc. We don't know quite whether Paul lost it or not. He apologized. And he said, you shall not speak evil of your people, for so it is written. I shouldn't have said that. And then he notices he's got Sadducees and Pharisees. And he thinks quickly on his feet and he says, I am here to testify to the resurrection of the dead. Now he knew, he'd done his homework, that Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They're secularists. And he knew that Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
And so immediately what that did was put these two groups against each other. And another riot breaks out. (laughs) I can just see the Roman centurion thinking, oh my word, what is it with this man? They're not tearing him to pieces, they're tearing each other to pieces. I don't know who he is and what's it about, but he again rescues Paul, puts him in the barracks, in the prison in the barracks, and he's back in another prison in another situation again. And he sits there and night comes tries to get some sleep, but it's very, very hard. And most people say it was the darkest night of his life. He had a dark night of his soul, and he begins to second-guess himself. Should I have come? Didn't the Holy Spirit tell me through those people not to go? Have I blown it? Now I'll never get to Rome. Now I'll never finish what God called me to do. Why was I so hasty? Why did I just push through and insist on doing it? Was I wrong? And suddenly, verse 11, 23, the following night, so he's been there a whole day and another night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage, cheer up Paul, literally, as you've testified about me in Jerusalem. It's all right, Paul, you did testify about me in Jerusalem. Yes, you didn't do it all right, and but your motive was right and you did your best. You have testified about me, and I sent you to do that in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. So cheer up. Now, this is good news, bad news. It's supposed to encourage him. You will go to Rome. Colosseum, Nero, lions. That's supposed to encourage him. But it did encourage him because that's what he knew he wanted to do. And that's what he thought he'd blown. Got himself into this situation where he'd never ever get to Rome. Have you ever had a dark night of the soul? Have you ever felt a failure? He felt a failure. Do you ever think of Paul thinking of himself as a failure? Well, he did at this point. And what happened? God dropped by. Can you trust God to show up when you want to give up? That's what Jill Briscoe is talking about on today's Telling the Truth. She's coming right back with more. Your support helps Telling the Truth reach across the globe to share the love of God and message of Christ with people everywhere. So call today to request your copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World when you give to help more people experience life in Christ. 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. 5388, or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now we head back to Joel Briscoe. Lonely and spent, discouraged was I, and God dropped by. Courage and power he brought for that hour when I wanted to die. God dropped by. Beaten and weary, depressed was I, then God dropped by. Cheering my way and lighting my day, a star in my sky, God dropped by. Frightened and lonely, beaten was I, then God dropped by. Lifted my head, and I thought I was dead. I started to cry, but God dropped by. Cared for was I, when God dropped by. Healing and peace, the soul sweet release, mended was I, when God dropped by. Do you need God to drop by? He always drops by. When you're out of prayers and can't even ask him, when you're done, when you've blown it, when you're hurting, really hurting, 
physically, emotionally, spiritually, everything. God drops by. When you're out of courage, he brings it. How did he do it? We don't know. But suddenly he was there and Paul saw him, and suddenly he was there and Paul heard him. That's all we need to know. And he will be there when you need him, when you're at your lowest. And it says, the Lord strengthened him, put courage into him. Encourage means to put courage into someone. Encouraged him. You're not done yet. And listen to me. You will never go to heaven one minute sooner than he wants you to. And once you get that right, it's all right. Now, you might not agree with me. I remember struggling with that concept. I hate flying. And when I first came, I started flying all over the place. And at that point, I literally had to take medicine to get myself on a plane. I was absolutely paranoid. I had a a, a panic attack. And so Stuart has me on this plane going over the Rockies, which is very up and down, and I'm clutching him. And he says, no good clutching me. I'm going up and down too. (laughs) Help. (laughs) And Stuart said to me, you will not go to heaven one minute before you're meant to. And I said, that doesn't help me because I think this is now I'm meant to. And then I said, sorry, God, it sounds if I don't want to see you, but, you know, just normal fear, normal fear. But the Lord strengthened him. He put courage into him, put courage into him. And you know, from then on, you never get poor like this again. In all those horrible five years that was ahead of him, bound in chains, a prisoner of the Lord, he called himself from that point onwards in the book of Acts. You never see him down again. Why? Because he believed in the controlling power of God over the child of God. Do you believe in that for you, for your children, for your family? Do you believe nothing can happen outside the permissive will of God to you? And certainly if you're a child of God and have committed your life to him. For example, the story goes on. He's sitting in the barracks. There's been another riot. Lysias has cleared the Sanhedrin out. (laughs) And he's looking at this prisoner thinking, oh my word, I have to get him to Felix. I have to get him safely to Felix. What he doesn't know is all these Jews have banded together, a whole group of them, promising each other they will not eat or drink until they've finished the job. They've murdered him. And so they know the prisoner is going to be taken to Caesarea by road. And so they say, well, let's lie in ambush There's more of us than there will be of a handful of soldiers sent to take the prisoner to Caesarea and we'll kill him on the road. And somehow Paul's nephew hears about it. Remember, Paul is from a Pharisee family. Remember, we know from the Acts, he had a sister. We don't know anything about it. I'm dying to know about his family, aren't you? But we don't. We only know he had a sister and a nephew. And we don't know how old the little boy was. But God can use a little boy. He can use a teenager. And he used a nephew who overheard other Pharisees saying, have you heard those fanatical Jews, that whole group have banded together. They're not eating. They're not drinking till they kill him. So they want to kill him as soon as possible for obvious reasons. And the little boy hears or the teenager hears and he goes and tells Paul. And Paul says, tell Lysias. So the centurion takes the child to Lysias. He tells his story and Lysias says, oh gosh, 
Okay. And so Lysias orders up a battalion, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen, 470 soldiers, and a prince of a horse puts Paul on the horse, and God takes him on his way, like a king, like an emperor, surrounded by this battalion. I love it. Can you imagine those 40 men? What's that? You hear a lot of noise. I thought there's just two or three soldiers coming. Sounds like an army. It is an army. Yes. And I can see God laughing in heaven. And I can see Paul on this gorgeous horse. He's a prisoner. He's not even dragged along in his chains. He's, he's on a horse. Marvelous. And those men had to watch him ride by. I, I did wonder when I read that, did they keep their vow? <laughs> I probably got out of it somewhere or other. Otherwise, they'll all be dead. So, Paul is taken. Circumstances. God overrules the circumstances. He uses this casual conversation. And you know, when you can look back in your life and you can see the supernatural in the natural, in the things that are happening, in the timing, just, just take a look, will you? And see that God is working his purposes out. And yes, he was there all the time. And yes, he cared for us. I think of even just a little thing like my husband's sickness. He got this infection after a minor operation in January. He's been in the hospital seven times, in the ER seven times, with a raging infection all over his body, a very dangerous infection. And they couldn't find the bacteria. They didn't know what it was. So they were hitting it with everything and nothing was working. We have been during that time in Antarctica, up on a glacier in January, in India, on the border with China, probably thousands of miles away from any medical facility. We have been in Chile, right down at the bottom of Chile. We have been up at the highest point in the Andes with the Inca Indians. We've been in the UK and a couple of other places in between. And every single one of those visits, urgent visits to an ER, was in America in the two or three days of coming in and out. Isn't God incredible? Timing, okay? Timing. And when you start and look around, you say, yes, here's this little boy. How come he was standing in the right group to hear that news? God is working his purposes out. And he's saying, I look after my own. You don't have to worry about this. Don't you think I'm going to look after Paul? I'll look after him. And the plot to kill Paul is fouled. And he sees how God has kept him. And God is in control. Do you believe that God is in control? Sometimes it's hard to believe. When every single evidence seems to the contrary, isn't it hard to believe? Because you're in the chaos and you don't see the big picture. And God is in control. And that's a trust breaker. It's a faith breaker. A.W. Tozer said, faith as Paul saw it was a living, flaming thing leading to surrender and obedience to the commands of Christ. I want my faith to be a living, flaming thing. Don't you? And your faith will grow as you look back. And that's the neat thing about getting older. You look back and see how God had his hand over circumstances. Does not mean God will always provide a battalion of soldiers for you. But he'll provide a few of them along the way. Because there will come a time when he needs to take you home. So the neat thing is to know, nothing can happen to me outside the will of God for me.
This is Telling the Truth, and you've just heard Jill Briscoe in the conclusion of her message, Standing Firm When the World Shakes Back. And now, here's Jill to answer some questions about how to stand firm in Christ when the world shakes back. Jill, tell us more about the controlling power of God over his children. How can we experience that? Well, we can only explain the controlling power of God if we give him control. And that really means making him a master of our thoughts, leader of our lives. Uh, Though unseen, the one that we refer to if we're going to make any big decisions in our life, we don't just run off and make all the big decisions and ask him to bless us. Um, that's not making God God or letting God be God in our life. It's, it's no good thinking of God as handy to forgive your sin and make you feel good and give you a fuzzy feeling and that's it. And then you live your life as you want. Actually, there won't be a fuzzy feeling if you abuse the instructions of God once you have got what you want from him. Uh, and it's not that he wants anything from you either. He wants things for you, but you're not doing him a favor. Anyway, we can't do God a favor. He's the one who favors us. So thou who art highly favored, the angel said to Mary. And so the thing that we need to do is not give control to God. Um, he has control over us anyway, whether he's going to use it or not is up to him. What it is, acknowledge that I can't take the next breath without God's permission. And all he has to do, it says in the Bible, is squeeze his fingers and we're done around our windpipe. And so let's get this in perspective. We can't give control of our lives to God. He has control of our lives, but we can acknowledge it and be glad about it and say, let me know what you want me to do, Lord, for you. And for others, not for me. And that's what it really means. Uh, We can only experience the peace of God and the joy of God if we are linked into what He wants us to do and letting Him control our lives. Thanks so much, Joel. How are you to process the unnerving events happening all around you in today's world? Does the Bible offer you any hope, help, or guidance? The answer, of course, is yes. Discover how God's Spirit works in you to transform you and renew your thoughts no matter what's going on around you with Stuart Briscoe's powerful six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World. Drawing from Romans 12, Stuart discusses how you can respond with wisdom and courage in today's most distressing circumstances. You'll discover how the Spirit of God is ever faithful giving you the grace to think clearly in a messed up world. We'll send you this series as thanks for your gift of support to help more people experience life through the resources and teachings of telling the truth. Generous friends like you keep broadcasts like today's going, often reaching places where the gospel hasn't yet made inroads. So if you've never given before, please consider a gift today to help keep God's word going out around the world. And remember to request your copy of thinking clearly in a messed up world when you call and give 1-800-889-5388 1-800-889-5388 or you can give online when you visit tellingthetruth.org 
We're glad you were with us today. Come back next time for more encouraging biblical truth to help you experience life. That's right here on Telling the Truth.